Our Gospel reading this evening is taken from Luke chapter 23, and it reads from the 26th verse. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Here ends our reading. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. But now in these last days, he has spoken unto us by his Son. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. A little story that I have told you before, but maybe if your memory is as good as mine, it'll be nice and fresh. I was at a wedding. There were two Swedish ladies that had come all the way from Sweden over to the wedding. This was in Connecticut. And as we began our conversation, things kind of came roundabout, and good old Pastor Feeney played the part of the pastor, and I said, tell me, I said, "Um, are you guys Christians? Well, they said, well, we don't really know what you mean by that. I said, well, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that he died upon the cross to redeem and atone for the sins of the whole world? Do you believe that he actually was raised from the dead and that there is this thing called eternal life? And they talked to each other, and they're Swedish, and they turned around and they said, oh no, we don't believe that, but we are Lutherans. (laughs) 
we actually find ourselves wondering sometimes how in the world are we going to witness to people who seem to be so incapable of being able to understand what the Christian faith is. Let's put ourselves for a moment there at that place of the skull. Is it not true that Jesus wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of this truth? Was not Jesus kind of the quintessential evangelist? So how does he evangelize those two thieves that were there upon that cross? We all know the problem of witnessing, don't we, to the hardened sinner? Once that conscience has been compromised and it is incapable of being able to recognize or call sin what it is, it refuses to accept any kind of rebuke. Usually what follows is mocking and vile speech to the one who might speak. Sometimes suffering, as those thieves were going through, sometimes suffering, even just punishment upon that person, always gets transferred over to somebody else, and somebody else was to blame for what it is that happened, not them. There doesn't seem to be much at all that one can do with a hardened conscience. Either we speak up and address it, and the person gets mad and things actually get worse. We call that fighting. Or we don't say anything at all, we go dead silent, and they think that they have the license and the liberty to continue on doing whatever it is that they're doing. So we say we're put in a position of either fight or flight. You run away. The saddest thing of all is that unless we can get somehow beyond that conscience, that this person can very easily find themselves without forgiveness of sins in eternal life. And that's the price that has to be paid. How was that thief won there for heaven? Perhaps, since it was at the place of the skull, we'll call it skullduggery, which usually means deception or fraud. Jesus, rather interestingly enough, doesn't rebuke the thieves for their behavior or for their crimes. Can't you just see him there on the cross? You know, I know what you guys did when you were 14 years old. I saw you, that you killed so-and-so. I saw that you were robbing so-and-so. Repent of your sins, like some evangelist down on a university campus. Doesn't in any way even speak to them. What they witnessed in him, however, had great effect. They saw him praying, not just for the forgiveness of others, but for their forgiveness. Father, he said, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He let his enemies actually speak for him. It was there in that sign that was above his head. What did it say? It said, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. It was his enemies that said, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it again in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. 
He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. That's the Messiah. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. He bore the insults even of the thieves themselves. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Yet one thief was one at that place of the skull. To understand how this could be, we have to understand the meaning of those two kinds of righteousness. Truly, we do have to be righteous in the sight of God if we are going to inherit eternal life. There can be no sin, no hint of sin, no smell of sin, no appearance of sin. God cannot see any sin in us whatsoever. We must be totally and completely holy in his sight. How then could a thief be righteous? Although we really don't have any real understanding of the crime that they had committed, yet it had been great enough to bring the judgment of the government down upon them, and even he claimed to acknowledge that he had received a just punishment for his deeds. It was maybe murder, a theft of property, perhaps even political insurrection, but probably this guy had been a bad guy from his infancy. If he was to be judged by his life under God's law, he could never have been righteous. But that day upon that cross, he found another kind of righteousness. And it is spoken about so clearly in the writings of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3. It goes like this. He said, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This is the righteousness of faith. That is right. He came to believe everything that Jesus' enemies said about him. He was the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, atoning for the sins of all mankind. He was the temple of God who would rise again on the third day. And believing, the thief simply turned and in faith asked his neighbor, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responded, I tell you the truth, Today, you will be with me in paradise. By means of the righteousness that comes to us by faith, the thief became righteous, holy, without sin, pardoned, 
redeemed and saved from death. What did Jesus do to convert him? It is true that this thief needed to come to a recognition of his own sin and his need for forgiveness. He did that. This can be seen from his rebuke of his fellow criminal. He said, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. But therein, in those words, this man has done nothing wrong, lies the key. The righteousness of the life and attitude and spirit of Jesus was set in contrast to the unjust treatment that he received. And herein lies the key to the most powerful witness a Christian can make. We witness when we live holy lives, the best lives that we can live in this world. We want there to be a great contrast between our lives and the lives of the world around us. And we witness when we simply live God-pleasing lives in this world. But that righteousness is always imperfect. We continue to sin much and daily. The, this kind of righteousness vexes the devil. We call it maybe skullduggery. The devil and the world like to heap their scorn upon us and do all that they can in order to impose suffering. Guess what? When suffering is unjust and we bear up under it like Jesus did, we make an even better witness to our faith. When we forgive our tormentors, turn the other cheek, bear reproach with dignity, and even allow them to make statements about us that are false and accusatory, when we bear up under suffering with dignity, it is one of the greatest confessions that we can make. But even that is not enough. We must become that thief on the cross. For all of us are condemned by the law and cannot achieve the righteousness like that of Christ. Like the thief, we can only place our faith in what those mockers said about him. He is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who has come and has achieved the atonement of the sins of all mankind. But when we confess our faith in Christ to the world, that he is saving us by grace, we become confessors like that thief upon the cross. We confess Christ by loudly and publicly seeking a righteousness that is not our own, but a righteousness that comes by faith in him and what he has done for us. Man, what skullduggery. As Christians, therefore, in conclusion, we are called to be witnesses to Christ in the kingdom of God. We do so whenever we endeavor to live righteous and holy lives in this world, and we do so also whenever we suffer unjustly and bear up under that unjust treatment with the same mercy that Jesus gave to his tormentors. Father, forgive them, he said, for they do not know what to do. But we make our greatest confession 
when we become thieves. When we know that we would be judged and condemned justly by the law, but when we turn in righteousness of faith and we grab onto it that our Lord has offered to us, yeah, our witness comes best in these words. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. How many times, how many millions, if not billions of people have found so much comfort in those words of Jesus in response to that request? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Yes, our Lord desires all men to repent and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That incredible truth is one that saves and creates faith. Jesus died not just for me. He died for the whole world. Such skullduggery. Amen. May this peace of God that surpasses all human understanding guard and keep your thoughts and your minds, your faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.